you're able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 37, and we're going to be reading um, verses 1 through 14. And we're going to be kind of be reading a larger passage today, um, but you'll see why very soon. The Word of God says this. It says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He caused me to pass among them and round about, and, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and lo, they were very dry. He said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, that you may come to life. I will put sinews on you and make flesh grow back on you, cover you with skin and put breath in you, that you may come alive, and you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I had been commanded, and as I prophesied there was a noise, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, sinews were, were on them, and flesh grew, and skin covered them, and there, but there was no breath in them. And he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they come to life. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they came to life and stood to their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves. My people and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come up out of your graves. My people. I will put my spirit within you. And you will come to life and I will place you on your own land. And then you will know that I am the Lord. That I have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. Please be seated. Undoubtedly, if there is one passage from the book of Ezekiel that you knew before we started our series in the book of Ezekiel, it was this passage. This is an extremely popular passage with strong ties both to the New Testament and to the gospel itself. The imagery in this passage has been popularized recently in several Christian music hits. And to be honest, if we read it, it is just a cool passage. However, familiar, even popular passages that we have in Scripture sometimes do not get from us our full attention. Familiarity causes us to look over these passages, tune them out, gloss over them. We think that we've already heard them and therefore we already know them. And in doing so, we miss the richness of what God is communicating to us. 
especially when we factor in the context in which God is saying this to Ezekiel and to the people of Israel. So my challenge for you today is even as you are singing the song that comes into your head when you read a passage like this, or as you tend to begin to look at the context around it and start dabbling over in chapter 38 or looking back to verse 36, I challenge you today to look at Ezekiel 37 for the first time again. We need to look at this passage with fresh eyes and an open heart so that the Holy Spirit might reveal to us something that we may have missed. So let's do so together. Before that, let us pray. Our gracious God and King, Lord, we come into this time as we begin to expound upon the Word and and really dive deep into what it says, Lord. I pray that you would give us fresh eyes to see this passage. Lord, I pray that you would take whatever we think we know about this passage and for just a moment, for just a day, set that aside so that we can look upon this passage for the first time again. And God, that through that, that your spirit might speak to us through your word, that we might see the things that we have missed in order to understand the things that you want us to understand while we live in this time under the sun. And God, in doing so, I pray that you would renew us and restore us and light a fire in us to do your work and to do your will. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, let's start with the scene and what is happening to Ezekiel in this time. As we look at the text, we know that the Lord has swept up Ezekiel and he is giving him a vision. And whether he is physically moving about the the land, we do not know. But highly likely that that Ezekiel is in in a situation where he is having a vision. And God takes him to this valley. In fact, even in the passage, it doesn't say just a valley. He says he took me to the valley and that this valley is filled with bones. Undoubtedly, as, as, as foreign as this concept may be to us today, it would not have been as strange to Ezekiel at his time. For when battles took place and great armies fought against each other, it left the valley filled with bones. And while the, the winner of the battle may take their dead and bury them, often they left their enemies' bones to rot and to become bleached by the sun. God has the prophet begin to look about the scene. And as he looks about all of the bones, he notices two important things. First, that the bones are numerous. And second, that they are very dry. The scene would seem to indicate that a great army had lost a great battle and not only were they now dead, but they had been dead for quite some time so that decay and sunshine had left nothing, nothing more but bleached, dry bones. What you may not realize from this scene as we look at this devastation and as we look at just this, this symbol of death And hopelessness is that this scene is contrasted by something very different in the passage before it. If we go back to Ezekiel 36, God is speaking to Ezekiel and talking about the future of Israel. And he says words like this. This is Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 8. He says, But you, O mountain of Israel, 
You will put forth your branches and bear your fruit for my people Israel, for they will soon come. For behold, I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you will be cultivated and sown. God is calling Ezekiel to prophesy in chapter 36 about the restoration of the land of Israel, of the nation of Israel, and the coming prosperity of that nation. He says that they are going to return to this land, and not only that, but the land itself will be beautiful and fertile, that he will raise it up again so that it will be filled and be the land flowing with milk and honey that we read about in the book of Exodus and all the way through into the time of Joshua. And it is somewhat interesting that then he is suddenly transported from this promise and this, these words from the Lord that, that, that Israel is going to come into the land and it is going to be prosperous and fruitful, that the mountain of Israel is going to be this green, lush mountain that will provide every need from the nation of Israel, and then suddenly he is swept up with the Lord and taken to a place of absolute death and destruction. It is completely dead, desolate, and without hope. Ezekiel at one time, and we actually read this text many months ago in Ezekiel chapter 11, he had asked the question of the Lord. He said, O Lord God, you are bringing the remnant of Israel to a complete end. And judging by the scene that is before him now, that once again is undoubtedly his fear. He looks out on this valley of dry bones. And he thinks that maybe this is the sign that Israel actually is going to be utterly destroyed. But here's what I want you to understand about this scene. This is a hopeless place that represents a hopeless people. See, what we learn about when we get to the end of the text is not necessarily that this is what the future of Israel is, but rather this is what their fear of it is. That they say that we are, a, we are like dry bones, that we are without hope. That that was their own self-perception of their own situation. If we think about Ezekiel and the, the, the way that he is living, he is a prophet. He at one point would have been a priest, a, a member of the tribe of, Levi, of the Levites from Aaron. And yet now he has been enlisted as a prophet as he lives in exile. And while he is in exile, not only does exile go on much longer than, than the nation of Israel thought, but they have witnessed the entire destruction of the city of Jerusalem. So that the temple, the wall, their homes is gone. And there is nothing left. And not only has this happened, but then time has progressed. And they see no hope of rebuilding, no change in government, no change whatsoever to the point that they say, we are forsaken. I'll be honest with you. I've been there. And I wonder if you have too. Where you have been through dark times in your life. Maybe it comes from the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's come because you have turned to things like drugs and alcohol and, and other addictions so that, that, that those things begin to suck the hope out of you. Maybe you have just watched one door after another get shut in your face again and again 
and again, and suddenly you find yourself in a, in a place in your life where you feel like it is hopeless. There are times in our lives when our heart becomes a valley of dry bones and we have no hope left to cling to and we wonder if God is finally, completely abandon us. It is in the midst of this scene that God speaks to Ezekiel and he asks a very interesting question. I tell you all the time, one of these days I'm either going to do a sermon series or write a book or both on on just great questions in the Bible. Because every once in a while we get a scene like this, we have a moment, and then suddenly God or Jesus or someone else walks into the situation and just asks a question. And the moment that question leaves their lips, you're like, This is the question he asks. Can these bones live? If we were to take off our churchy knowledge for just a moment and we asked your everyday run-of-the-mill human being, maybe even you when you're not really thinking in your churchy brain, hey, do you see this dead skeleton? Imagine for a moment you that are in school or if those of you that can remember what it was like to be in school walking into your biology class and they have that skeleton hanging from the little rack. Now I know they're usually they're plastic now. Let's pretend it's real, which is kind of sick, but let's do it anyways. And imagine if your teacher suddenly looked at you and said, Hey, Matthew, can these bones live? Well, if we were honest, we'd go, No. That thing is dead. That thing is deader than that dead. That's as, that's as dead as a doornail, and I don't even know what that means. There is no resuscitation of that. There is no amount of smelling stalts, electricity, skin grafts, or anything else that could happen that could possibly hope to make that valley of bones to make that skeleton live and then make that even more um, impossible. He's not just looking as a, at a skeleton laying on the ground. He's looking at a literally an ocean of dry bones scattered about, uh, not assembled. Who knows what part goes to what part? It's the worst jigsaw puzzle that one could ever hope to imagine. This isn't like when Elisha raised up the child who had just died, or even Jesus when he had called forth from Lazarus. These are not recently deceased people who just need to start breathing, to, to just need to start breathing again. Now don't get me wrong, dead is dead. And any return from death to life is an amazing thing. But this is an army of bones. There is no flesh, no organs, no skin There is nothing to put them together or assemble them. There is no lung to breathe. There is no heart to beat. There is no liver to function. There is no blood to pump or any other fluid that might be in the body. We have to laugh maybe for just a moment that he asked this question, can these bones live? And Ezekiel's response is, uh, you you know, Lord, Lord, Oh, Lord God, 
I defer to you. He says this because, in one sense, he, he doesn't want to say no because he's talking to God. And when God asks you a question and you know, and, and you can pretty much guarantee that the answer you think you know is not going to be the answer that God's going to show to you. But another reason is, is that he just can't admit that this is a yes. There have been times, I'm just going to talk for me, there has been times in my life where I knew that God could do something. But I had a really hard time believing that he would. There have been times in my life where I knew that God could step into my life and do something great, that he could step into my family's life and do something great, but I had a hard time having the faith to believe that he actually would. Whether that was his, that was his will for that situation or another. And so there have been times in my life where I have been very much so like Ezekiel, where I knew that God could do something, but I wasn't sure if God would do something, so all I could say is, God... You know. You know what's going on in my life. You know what my heart is. You know what I want to happen. You know. But it's up to you. And it's up to your will. And it's up to your heart on how you will move. And ultimately, I just have to trust you. I do think this is why prayer is so important to us. Even when we don't know what to pray. See, Ezekiel knew something. But he didn't know everything. And so with this question, he just had to hand it back to God and say, God, you know. You know if these bones can live. You know if there's actually still hope in this valley, you know what's going on. And so, God, I defer these things back to you. We, in the exact same way, should take our prayer life seriously and go, God, I don't know. I don't know what your will is for this situation. I don't know what the best outcome is. I don't know what you are doing in the midst of all of this. But, Lord, you know. And so, God, I am taking my prayers up to you. And God, I want you to know that no matter what the outcome is, I will trust you and that I am, I am confident that you are good and that you are accomplishing your perfect will. And God, I know you know. So Lord, help me to either understand or accept what you are doing in my life. We can tell God what we want. In fact, James chapter 4 verse 2 says, You do not have because you do not ask. But even as we ask, we turn to the Lord and say, Yet not my will be done, but your will. Ezekiel responds and says, O oh Lord God, you know. And that God responds to his answer in such a cool way. He calls Ezekiel to prophesy, saying, first to the bones themselves and, and then to the breath. He tells them to speak the word of God. To the bones, he says, I will cause breath to enter you and I will make flesh grow back on you. Now, I can, um, I can tell when you kind of think about this for just a second, you're like, what? What does that even mean? 
God is about to put flesh back on these bones, and yet He is doing so much more than that. Think about all the things that are part of the human body. Think about those of you that have worked in the medical field or have had surgeries done or all the things that may go with that. He is not just putting on flesh like the muscles and all that stuff, but He is putting on on fat and muscles, ligaments, organs, blood, fluid, skins, and stuff that I don't even know about. And I don't want to know about because bodies are icky. We have to ask the question, where, where is the flesh coming from? What is he bringing it forth? How is he restoring it? These are dry bones with nothing left to restore. Dead for ages and, and ages. And yet, when he speaks forth to the bones, these things just begin to, to appear. God is literally through the prophet Ezekiel speaking them into existence just like he did at creation. Do you ever think about that for just a moment? That the God of heaven and earth, the God who said, let there be light and there was light and let there be planets and there were planets and let there be vegetation on the planet and fish in the sea and birds in the air and things that creep on the ground and then ultimately let us make man in our image and in the image of God he created him is the same God that is saying, have flesh. And because the very words of God spoke them, they were spoken into existence in that moment with everything they needed because God knew. These bones contributed nothing to their restoration, but rather God did all of it. It is fascinating to think of the fa- about the fact that God was the one who did all of it. These bones could do nothing. They provided nothing. They were dead as dead could dead. And yet when God spoke over them, they began to come to life. The same is true of God when we come to Him for eternal life. We contribute nothing to our salvation. One person is quoted as saying, as we contribute, the only thing that we have contributed to our salvation is the sin that made it necessary. We do not go to God and say, God, I've turned my life around. Will you take me? God, I've been a good person. Will you let me into heaven? God, I've really cleaned up my act. I think I'm ready to be a Christian. We come with none of that. We don't come to God with things on our hand to prove that we're worthy of, of, his, of a relationship with Him. Rather, we come to God with nothing and say, I am a sinner. And I need your mercy. Paul spoke of this to the church in Ephesus in chapter 2, verse 1, when he said, You were dead in your trespasses and sin. See, these bones were dead as dead could dead. And I want you to understand something today. If you are still in your sin, in the same way spiritually, you are dead as dead can dead. And there is nothing that you're going to bring to God to try to convince Him that you're okay. After... Ezekiel prophesies to the bones. Suddenly we see these bodies form and and all of the pieces and all of the things that they need. And it says that when it was all said and done, there was this massive army of bodies there, but there was still no life. 
Now, one might wonder if Ezekiel thought that even God had failed in what he attempted to do, that he looked at the bodies and said, even God could not completely resuscitate these, this army, this whole group of people, that they are still lying there on the ground dead. And then he says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath that they may come and breathe into this army and they would come to life. Now there's a word here that really is a significant Old Testament word. And it's this word for breath. Because this word has so much meaning in the Old Testament. This word means breath, but it also means wind. Which is why he says, call to the four winds. But it also means spirit. And often the Spirit of God, when we read in the Old Testament and we see that it talks about the Spirit of God, that word is quite literally the breath of God. That all of these things come together. This scene would have reminded the, li- the listeners of the book of, from, about the book of Genesis, where it says, Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. This word for breath would be something that would give life, that would give them a a spirit and a soul, that this would be God's very work in their their life. And suddenly he prophesies to the wind and he prophesies to this breath and the breath comes and the breath fills up their bodies and suddenly these dead bodies that were just a moment ago dry bones stand up to their feet and are indeed a mighty army. We're reminded yet again that it is God alone that can give life and breath and the spirit to mankind. Looking again back to Ephesians chapter 2, we read these just a few verses later. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. As we look at this valley of dry bones, we have seen God do something that is, quite frankly, awesome. And I think even Marsha would agree that this is an awesome scene. He has taken something completely, devastatingly dead. And he has given it new life. What an amazing scene. But we have to take a step back and ask ourselves the question, what on earth does this mean? And praise be to God, he tells us. Let's look again at verse 11. And it says this, he says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried and our hope is perished. We are completely cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves, my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord, which I have opened up your graves and caused you to come up from your graves, my people. And I will put my spirit within you and you will come to life and you will and I will place you in your own land. And then you will know that I am the Lord, that I have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. He looks at the nation of Israel and he says, you thought you were too far gone. 
You thought that there was no hope left for you. You thought that your sin and your rebellion meant that God could not, or at the very least, would not restore you to the promise of the covenant. They thought it was over. Now think about that for just a second. Israel had thought that they had come to a point where there was no hope left. In my study of of this passage and and looking at some of his contemporary prophets, I, I took some time and I looked at Jeremiah, and there was a point in time where Jeremiah was saying, repent, repent, repent. You know, you need to give yourselves back to the Lord. You need to come back to the Lord. And the people of Israel literally said, it's too late. It's too late. We might as well keep doing what we're doing. We might as well keep living in sin. We might as well keep appealing to the other gods. We might as well just give up on Yahweh because surely he has given up on us. And guys, there are people in our lives that think this same way. You may be here today thinking that same way and you just got drugged here by someone. There are times in our lives, and I understand this, and, I, and believe me, I've been this. There are times in our lives where we think that our mistakes are so great and so heinous and so permanent because of the consequences of our sin that we're just done. And there are people in our lives that we see that continue to go down the path of sin and, and, and they're battling with depression and anxiety and pain and suffering. And if we go to them with the gospel, they don't want to hear it because deep down in their heart they're saying, it's too late. And that's exactly where Israel was at this moment. They are in exile. They are in destitution. Their cities have been destroyed. Their nation has been overrun. They have become just a place for the surrounding nations that hated their guts to take advantage of them and manipulate them and hurt them and and oppress them. And they finally have just come to a point where they said, it's too late. There's no hope for me. All I have is what I have. And it's not going to get any better. And the best thing I can hope for is that it doesn't get any worse. And that's what God is speaking into today. When we have that mindset, when we have friends and family and co-workers and people that we meet on the street and they're thinking it can't, it can't get better. There is no hope left for me. I have been cut off and I've got nothing left. We can look to the valley of dry bones and realize that God is telling them something very different. God can pull these people out of the very grave in order to restore them to a right relationship with Him. And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, that is exactly what He wants to do. Not only this, but God promises 
them that in the day that, that they repent, that they turn to him, that he will restore them, that he will place his spirit within them, that they will be closer to God than they have ever been before. Think about this for just a moment. Israel is at a point in their life where they think that they are completely cut off from God, that the, the covenant has been completely revoked, that there is no hope whatsoever, and yet what God says to them is, even though you think you're in your grave, I am going to pull you out of your grave. I'm going to bring life back into you. I'm going to put life back in your lungs and I'm going to put my spirit inside of you so that your relationship with me will be better than it has ever been. That is amazing and that is astounding for us to even think about. No matter how far away we have gotten from God, God is ready, able, and willing to not only restore our relationship with Him, but to even send it into the atmosphere as far as closeness because of His great love for us. This is the promise of the new covenant. This is the promise that we even see fulfilled in Christ. This is what Jesus came to do. To seek and to save sinners. So what does this mean for us? It reminds us that no matter how far we wander away from God, no matter how far someone in our life appears to be from God, that God can and He will do a mighty work in their, in their life. This is a reminder for us that you, if you are in this room today, you are not too far from God. You may notice that as you walked in this room today, no matter how far you thought you were away from God, no matter how much sin has been piling up in your life, you will notice that not only did you not get barred from coming in the building, but the building held. I've been told so many times by so many people that if they set foot in a church building, the whole thing would come crashing down. Well, let me tell you, I don't have confidence in these big, beautiful wooden beams. I have confidence in the God who can save and restore your soul. Not only are you not too far from God, but your friend, your family member, your co-worker, your mortal enemy, and the strangers you meet along the street, they too are not too far from God. They just need God to do a work in their life. And that's where you come in. Say, I think it's not a mistake that God could have just spoke all of this into existence. We'd seen him do it before in Genesis 1. But instead, he turned to Ezekiel and he said, you proclaim the word of God. You tell the dry bones to live. You tell the wind to come and to fill up their lungs. And I really, truly believe that today God is telling you to go and preach and proclaim life to those that are dead in their sin. My question for you today is, who is your one? Who is that person that God has put a burden on your heart for so that you might go and proclaim life? that you might go and tell them about Jesus. If you're here today and you have that one in your life, as we close out our time today, I want you to lift up that one in prayer.
And I want you to pray for that one, not just today, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And I want you to keep praying for that one until that one comes to Christ. I want you to go to the Lord and say, God, can this person who is spiritually dead live? And say, God, you know. Because he does know. And he may be waiting for you to finally be ready to see that door and walk through it and share Christ with them today. For some of you today, that means putting your faith and trust in Christ for the very first time. If you're here today and you feel spiritually dead, and you feel as though there is no hope left for you, that you can't be good enough, that you won't be good enough, that even if you tried, it is far too late, then hear the words of God today. You are not too far gone. And then Christ came and he died. And he rose from the grave three days later so that you might be alive with him. And that if you will surrender your life to Jesus Christ and make him your Lord and Savior, that you will be saved. And that invitation is given to you today. In just a moment, Joe is going to come up and we're going to sing a song. And if God is speaking to you today, and maybe you just need to come up to these steps and just lift up that person to God and you just want to make sure God knows which he does don't worry who you're praying for and you need to come up and pray at these steps we invite you to come maybe you need to come up and talk with me about what it means to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior whatever God is leading you to do we invite you to come and to do that today let us pray our gracious God and King Lord we thank you so much for your word God we just thank you and we praise you and we stand in awe of your goodness today as you can take something and you can take someone who is absolutely dead. And as the scriptures say, that, that can be us, that we are dead in our sins. And you can take that which is dead and you can bring it back to life. And God, it does not matter how dead that person is. But if they will just trust in you, that they will just hand themselves over to you, if they will hear this good news and believe it, that God, you will give them new life. Father God, I, I truly believe that each and every one of us are, is called, like Ezekiel, to go and to proclaim life to dead people. And God, that you have put people in our lives that are spiritually dead that need to hear that they can be alive in Christ. And God, I pray that we will become diligent prayer warriors on their behalf. And that through that, Lord, that your spirit might turn their heart, that they might hear the good news, and that they might believe. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.